Dr. Tanitra Scorsa accomplishes incredibly difficult things. She auditioned for and was accepted into one of the most competitive graduate school programs when she was seven months pregnant, and she was the first black woman to get a doctorate degree in her major. After she completed her PhD program, she started a music school that included an orchestral program, classes, one-on-one -on -one music training, basically a world-class music education at two sites in Inglewood, California, a community that needed and deserved world-class music education. Her school served hundreds of children, and she considers that to be one of her greatest accomplishments. She's also now a Hello7 certified business coach and the owner of a learning experience design agency serving clients such as big tech companies. Check out this episode of the Age Has No Limit podcast to learn why Dr. Scorza thinks she downplays her accomplishments, how changes in her body tend to trigger an intellectual call to make outward changes in her life, how growing up around entrepreneurs drives her to help business owners as their business coach, and how two countries, Costa Rica and India, factor into her bucket list. Thanks again to Dr. Scorza for sharing a little of her life with us here at the Age Has No Limit podcast. Keep listening. It's the Age Has No Limit podcast. We're here to show and prove that your age shouldn't prevent you from designing and living the life you want. I'm your host, Patrice Davis. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Age Has No Limit podcast. I am here with Dr. Tanitra Scorza. And Dr. Scorza, I'm going to start off at the very top by saying that I literally sat up in my chair and smiled when I read in your bio that you accomplish things that seem incredibly difficult, so much so that you actually downplay them or feel like anyone um, would or could do the same things. So I really would like to find out from you, what is the reason for that? That's a great question. And I actually started reflecting on that a bit yesterday, but I think it's a way to kind of quite honestly dim my light a little bit so that I don't make others feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. which is, is not ideal. <laughs> of course not. Mm -hmm. um, but I think back to when I was little and feeling like my parents supported me in different things, my different concerts and performances and feeling like when I would hear things from my siblings, like, oh, well, we didn't go to the performance or the training or the practice that I needed to go to. And just feeling like, oh, you know, maybe I should feel some kind of way about that, feel guilty about it or feel not so happy or joyous or celebratory about it. So I think that's this kind of where that comes from. And this has kind of carried forward. Interesting. So you, uh, so basically you're thinking that from childhood in, in, in instances where you thought that maybe you had, I'm going to use the word, a term, a leg up, you would basically either hide or minimize some of those accomplishments so that your those around you would feel more comfortable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, you know, I can certainly relate to that, but I really, before I 
share my own experience with that or a similar experience, I think it's important for the audience to know some of these amazing things that you've actually accomplished. So I'm going to go ahead and list us a few of them. So, um, so number one, you have auditioned for and got into one of the most, I would say, competitive graduate schools um, while you were seven months pregnant. And I want to make sure everyone's clear and you can actually clarify for me exactly what kind of graduate school you've actually achieved the incredible goal of being the first black woman to get a doctorate degree in that particular major. You started a music school right after graduate school and served hundreds of families. I would love to learn about that. And of course, you've been the owner of your own agency for learning experience designers. And I think you've been in business for eight years. Is that correct? Yes. Cool. So of all the things that I just listed, which are you the most proud of and why? The one that I'm most, well, hmm, yes. Okay. So the one that I'm most proud of is when I was, when I had my music school and I started a youth orchestra, there were two sites I started with. One site had string instruments, one site had winds and brass. And when they all came together and did their first concert, And to see all those people there, all of those children who wouldn't normally have access to world-class music education, that was incredible. Mm -hmm. That was an incredible moment to to see, to witness, to experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Pretty cool. Probably because of the breadth of the impact. It wasn't about your personal accomplishment. It was look at all of these, um, you know, young people and their families you yes. now have this access, this experience, and um, you know who knows where it took them. Um, and so, tell me, where was the music school? Um, you know, would love to learn what community actually was able to benefit from you know the brilliance and the initiative that you took to actually launch this music school to to begin with. Sure. So it was in Southern California. It was in the Inglewood area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was partnering with the Inglewood Unified School District at the time. And that's where the, the orchestral program started. And then I moved into providing classes and um, one-on-one training for families who were in the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. And it, it started from a place of... Um, where I grew up, we we just had access to music education. We had teachers from Juilliard. We had um, access to the university where they had programs. Mm-hmm. And that was in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to UCLA and I started doing community outreach and going into the different schools, I started with going into Compton schools. And they were like, okay, here's, um, you guys are the music program. And I was like, but where's their band teacher and orchestra teacher? And they're like, you guys are it. So um, just feeling like, you know, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the case that people who look like me don't get to have access to these experiences and to these opportunities. And so I wanted to change that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for providing that background. Now, I know just a little bit about Inglewood, and I think a lot of our listeners, unless they're in California, they may not um, know about Inglewood. I do believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that Inglewood is an historically Black community in Mm -hmm. California for many, many years. Um, And 
you know, anything else that you can share with us about Inglewood itself? I think that would be, that would help us understand, you know, you know, where you were and what you were trying to accomplish and what you actually were able to accomplish. Sure. So yes, Inglewood is one of the few um, predominantly Black communities now it's you know the demographics always change and shift mm-hmm. um at that time it was still predominantly black i think now people have started to move out to different areas mm-hmm. um and they had a very strong um at the high school level they had a very strong marching band program especially at inglewood high mm-hmm. um and you know the band director who built that up and maintained it all those years you know, it's incredible. What I noticed is that there wasn't a feeder system. They didn't have bands necessarily in middle school. Maybe they had strings in middle school. And then they didn't have, at the time, music programs in elementary school. And so I wanted to build that, the system building that pipeline so that by the time they get to high school, they're already they're already great musicians. And then they get into the marching band and they're just crushing it. So, um, so that was, that was the vision that I had. Good, good, good. And so I always typically start out with just a little bit about the person that is the guest of the episode, but then I always want to start a little bit deeper so that we uh, get to know who you are, who the guest truly is. So what we would love to do is find out a little bit about Tanitra, the woman, um, where are you from? Um, And I think I heard you mention Alaska. Um, Do you have any siblings? And I think you also mentioned having some siblings. And of course, you know, what did you do in the early stages of your career? Sure. So, yes, I'm from Alaska, was born and raised, Mm -hmm. totally random. Um, To answer the question that everyone's thinking, yes, there are Black people in Alaska. (laughs) To answer the second question everyone's thinking, no, my family was not in the military. Um, <laughs> and then for the third question, um, my dad, my parents met there. Mm-hmm. My dad's uncle was in construction. And so a lot of his nieces and nephews came up there for work and just, you know, different opportunities. And um, my parents met there and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Um I have two siblings who are older. I'm the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do in the early stages of your career? Education has always been the through line. I've always been, one of my top strengths is learning and top values is learning. And so I've always been in education. So my first business actually was the music school. And from there, I went into um, teaching the classroom and I went on to starting my training and development, um, business as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the progression of my professional career. Okay. And then you mentioned your training and development business. And so you describe yourself as a learning experience designer. Do you mind defining that for those of us who are not aware what that is? Sure. So learning experience designers, you will often find them in an HR department, Mm -hmm. um, human resources. So learning and development includes coaching, it includes instructional design, and it includes human human resources. Mm -hmm. So all of those things kind of end up working together in some way. 
And um, so what I do is I, I work a lot with nonprofits actually mm-hmm. and organizations that may have grown rapidly and their processes and procedures and talent and development haven't caught up with where they're at. Mm-hmm. And so they need to go back and do some of that, that work to really shore up the organization. And um, I also coach. There's usually coaching involved with that. There's usually consulting involved with that and usually organizational development. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So I'm going to pick at that a little because I actually have clients and one of the, one, one of the services that we actually provide through our grant con- compliance consulting firm is the development of policies and procedures. And for those of you who are listening, please, we're not going to go down this path of talking about policies and procedures. We don't want to lose you. We want you to stay interested. Um, but I'm curious. So what are you actually helping them develop the policies and procedures or are you using learning experience or you are designing a learning experience outside of the actual text, right, to help them um, create um, or train their teams on on these policies and procedures and some of the other things that you may be helping them develop? It's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes the policies and procedures do need to be established or shored up. Mm -hmm. And then so that they're not just sitting on a piece of paper somewhere, Mm -hmm. they also need to be, you know, some human element needs to be pumped into it and training needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. And so the training, I'm going to continue to pick at that. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe we need to have the conversation offline because here I am thinking, oh, I have some (laughs) clients that I have two, you know, you know, uh, great clients right now, and we are helping them with that. And so yeah, we'll take that conversation offline. Um, But I do think it's great to know, because immediately when you said that, um, you also help with organizational development. That was something that kind of, you know, of course, stood out. So tell me how what you do, um, you know, enhances an organization's structure. Um, would love to learn a little bit more about that. I think that is outside of my own interest. Um, I would still love to learn more. And I think the audience may be interested in that in, in that as well. Sure. So I always start with a needs assessment. And that is, that can go as deep as they want it to. It really depends on if they want to to get up and going quickly or if they really want to take the time and go deep. Mm -hmm. So with the needs assessment, it's usually a training needs assessment or a learning needs assessment. And from there, I'm able to determine, okay, which areas should we focus on? Where are the areas of opportunity? Where are the areas that are strong and could be strengthened? And from there, I we collaborate to build out a plan to shore up whatever areas that they want to focus on first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely want to have conversations with her afterwards, um, but we're going <laughs> to leave that for another time. So, you know, now that you've described a little about what you currently do at your agency, I'd love to learn more about the agency itself. You know, um, are you, what you, do you have staff on board? Are you working with contractors? Would learn to love to learn a little bit more about the agency and would love to learn about maybe one or two of the, the most fulfilling client experiences you've had. Okay. Um, okay. So one of the most fulfilling client experiences I had was with a, a big tech company. Mm-hmm. Let's just call them Megatech. Yes. And um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was brought on board to help build learning paths. So mm-hmm. they had, they needed sales enablement um, 
learning uh, support around sales enablement because mm -hmm. they different directors, but they would train on something and it would be recorded. Like all their meetings are always recorded mm -hmm. and they would put it on a drive somewhere and, or maybe they would have a, a call with their staff and they would record it and that would be a training. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just kind of, you know, in different places all over the place. And so they brought me in to work with one of these areas mm -hmm. and work with all of the different subject matter experts to see, okay, this is, these are our goals and our objectives for the department. When they come through, we want them to learn how to do these things. Mm -hmm. So from there, I built out the, the learning path and coordinate with, coordinate it with all the people because there was seemed, you know, always more people to, to check in with and make sure that it was on, on point. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I built out the training and development. Some of it, sometimes it was just pulling a training that was already there and snipping it, or sometimes it was starting from scratch. Um, and generally it was either instructor led or completely, you know, asynchronous, do it on your own time. Mm -hmm. Um, so building those pieces out and then getting it up into a new app that was launching and QAing that, which is quality assurance. Mm -hmm. And that was a ton of, of moving pieces. And um, at the end, mm -hmm. when it went live and everything came together, seeing all those beautiful little icons and the clicks and all that, it was very exciting. It was very exciting to see this beautifully orchestrated thing come together. Mm -hmm. Good, 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 yeah. good. And so, yeah, so that that does help me understand a little bit more about you, what you do and how similar it is to some of the work that I do. I typically, of course, um, um, for the training that we develop for our clients, um, their customized training. Sometimes they're the big, you know, three module training with, you know, uh, you know, making sure that we're adhering to various learning management systems. I mean, it's just a lot of mm -hmm. things. Um, and then mm -hmm. making sure the navigation tools, the audio, the video, just a lot, you know, the voiceovers, all the things mm -hmm. um, I've actually mm -hmm. have to do that. I have actually had to do, um, do that for a client. But um, but yeah, we can certainly um, dig into that a little bit more. But it does, I think, help the audience know a little bit more about what you do. I also saw that you were a business coach. So I wasn't sure if you were a business coach in the context of the services you provide only, or do you, are you also a business coach in other, do you also provide business coaching services in other areas? I do. I provide business coaching serv uh, services in other areas. I actually, so this is another, another example of me kind of, you know, putting something <laughs> on the desk and leaving it there. Mm -hmm. I'm recently certified as an H7 uh, coach. Mm -hmm. So um, so what that is, is that's mindset and money and business coaching. Mm -hmm. So um, in that capacity, I love working with service-based businesses that are, they're at the place where their workload is, is definitely getting overwhelming. Like they're at capacity. Mm -hmm. um, I envision it like, being on a tricycle going downhill mm -hmm, and those mm -hmm. bumps on the road and you're trying to hold on for dear life without falling off. So I like to catch them right there mm -hmm. and help shore up their support by helping them with the hiring and the training and the systems development that they need mm -hmm. in order to take some of the pressure off, build their revenue and continue to grow from there. 
And you said service businesses. Um, is there a specific niche of service businesses or just service businesses across the board? Just across the board, service-based businesses. I really love working with women of color, of course, mm -hmm. um, because of my personal experience growing up around entrepreneurs. My mom was an entrepreneur, my aunts, um, family, friends were entrepreneurs, just being surrounded by entrepreneurship and seeing that um, that struggle to to balance everything, trying to show up for your family in the ways that matter and show up for your community and build this business. And then if you decide you wanna go on vacation or you don't wanna do it anymore, then everything just kind of falls apart. Mm -hmm. So um, so wanting to not repeat that cycle and give us people who don't typically have access to the knowledge necessary to build these systems, uh, to give them what they need so that they can excel and have an asset that they can sell or pass on or, you know, keep until they don't feel like keeping it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you're absolutely right. Because I think for a lot of business owners, uh, and you know, they go into business because they have these intentions. So they know why they start, but they haven't actually thought about how they'll end. And, mm. and so that they can actually, you know, go in knowing that there is an end and actually develop plans and goals based on that eventual end. Um, mm -hmm. and that's something that, um, I don't think I did initially, but as I learned what my options were um, down, you know, I decided, okay, there is a certain time frame uh, that I want to operate the business and there's some things I want to do afterwards and just kind of thinking about a graduation or a gradual transition into other things. And as a result, I think my my own personal belief is that um, it, number one, keeps me extremely focused. Number two, I'm not wasting time. And I don't think many business owners are wasting time either, but I'm, I'm very clear about what I want to accomplish in a certain time frame. I know what the next stage is going to be. And I know what, you know, quite frankly, once that first time is over, you know, what I want to help facilitate that next stage, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I really think that's important. And I'm glad that you brought that up because not enough business owners are thinking about what the end will look like. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and if they know that the end is five or 10 years down the road, maybe when things get really difficult in year two or year three, they'll mm -hmm. know, you know what, I'm on my five-year plan. I know this is difficult now, but let me at least get to my five years. So that's, I think, just a sort of a, a way to kind of, you know, I don't want to use the word trick, but just kind of switch the thinking so that you mm -hmm. don't give up when, when, you know, when some people may give up because things get challenging. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah. So. I also learned that you were a, a lead teacher um, at what seems to be a very, very unique charter school. I mean, we've heard about international schools. We know they're all over the world. Um, and of course, we know about charter schools, but you actually taught as a lead teacher at a very unique um, charter school that I believe has multiple campuses in different parts of the country. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Yes. So what i loved about that experience especially at the beginning is that it was newer so it felt very scrappy and entrepreneurial mm -hmm. and i just eat that up mm -hmm. um and so i i loved how i could come in with ideas and present them and they'd be like it's a good idea let's try that out 
<laughs> so that was that was a really great experience going into it. And um, yes, it it is unique. And my my children are not in the same type of structure um, as that school was. And it's being in that space for so long and then seeing how it's like, oh, this is more traditional. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, A's and B's and C's in kindergarten. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I, when I was there, I felt like, uh, I felt almost not an obligation, but um, like a very strong desire to be my authentic self, mm-hmm. even though it was in fact, a predominantly white space. Mm-hmm. And I felt like almost like an ambassador, like people need to see that what this looks like, who I am looks like, and what it feels like to interact with someone like me mm-hmm. on this level. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was, you know, just planting seeds to 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 stay, um, to stay open, to stay, um, to stay curious, and um, and to to not just see things how they've seen it before, but maybe see things in a different way too. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you mentioned your children, uh, tell me their mm-hmm. ages and how many girls, boys love to hear about that. Yes. So my boy is about to turn 15 mm-hmm. and my two girls are eight and two. Mm. Oh yeah, that that's right. I do remember. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. um, how much would you say that your children, I know that you started the music business right out of graduate school amazing Mm -hmm. because a lot of people are really tired after graduate school, (laughs) especially the PhD, right? Maybe the master's is challenging in and of itself, but the PhD, you decided to go right ahead and make your life a little bit harder. And (laughs) uh, no, but I'm sure you enjoyed um, building that school. I'm actually kidding. But, um, but I know you said you started, of course, the business right out of grad school. um, And and then at some point, I, I, if, tell me if I'm correct, that you decided to become a lead teacher. So that means you went from entrepreneurship to being um, an employee. Um, how much would you say that really, what was, I don't want to ask that, um, make assumptions. What was it that made you decide to then launch your agency? So when I went into teaching, I was, when I was, at a happy place there. It was uh, it was an entrepreneurial space. It was very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when the space changed to not so entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. I started to feel trapped, mm-hmm. and I started to feel like you know what I miss. I miss working with adults. I miss mentoring adults. I miss um, talking to adults. And I that's that's when I, I decided I needed to make the transition. Mm. And so um, I'm trying to think about a time when I was in school, when I was not in school while I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, 
at the time I was, when I decided I was going to make the transition, I was pregnant with my second mm-hmm. and, um, and I, I started shoring up the gaps in my knowledge and, and learning everything that I could and started to make that transition. Mm. So how much would you say the, you're being pregnant with your second actually, um, I would say in, inspired or stimulated, um, your decision to become a full-time, um, full-time entrepreneur. Mm. That's a great question. I think what, what has happened for me is that when I'm, when my body is changing, my perspective changes mm-hmm. as well. And I start to it's like, okay, this is another level of consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's what, I think that's my pattern. And I'm, I, it's almost like as my body is growing and changing, I feel I also feel a call to intellectually go through mm. another type of growth or change and development. It's like we're all developing. Yeah. And that, the, 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 the yeah, because if I'm thinking about it, you decided to apply for that grad school while you were pregnant. And of course you became, mm-hmm. you were accepted and there's, that is a multi-month process. And so obviously you started it. It sounds like it started at some point early in the pregnancy, you were accepted around, let's say month seven, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And so that is, yes. as you described, it is a, you know, you're, as you're going through this change, as your body is feeling like, uh, you know, uh, growing, as you said, you, you, you actually pursue something else. And that's, that's very mm-hmm. interesting is you feel it on a deeper level. And so therefore you want to achieve something else as a result. So mm-hmm. that's, that's very, that's a very interesting take. Now, how would you say being an entrepreneur has enriched your life? And I know that you were an entrepreneur again, early after grad school, but this phase of entrepreneurship has, how has it in, uh, enriched your life? I think allowing for creativity. I'm very, very creative and I, I love new ideas and I love taking ideas and putting them into something concrete. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do for my clients all the time. Like they have these, these ideas or these goals or these visions and I'm like, okay, let's bring them down to earth and plant them and grow them. Mm-hmm. And being an entrepreneur allows me to do that every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean, especially in the early stages, I'm sure it's interesting. So I'm thinking about how in the early stages of being an entrepreneur, I was constantly creating new processes, new tools, new templates, new ways of doing things, new ways of communicating with people. You know, you know, how do I communicate on a sales call versus an, uh, an already engaged client versus maybe a contractor? You know, that's to me, that's a, there's a constant change and a constant type of inner create. I, I don't know if inner creativity is the right way to say it, but, um, and I'm just trying to think about how that must feel for you when you're creating with your clients in all of your engagements, even into um, year eight of business. Um, so that, that is a very interesting take, but I guess it's also aligned with what you do. So um, now were there any, if you can remember eight years ago, were there any mindset shifts, right? That you recall having to experience when you were shifting from your lead teacher role 
to becoming a full-time entrepreneur and you did shift into becoming a full-time entrepreneur or did you decide to do it in phases? It was a shift into, so I guess the phases were um, laying the groundwork, doing the learning, getting the, getting ready so that when the time was, was there, I think we split the switch. Mm -hmm. I think what it, what it was for me is just resilience. Mm -hmm. Like I had to be ready to be resilient. Mm -hmm. And um, that was, that was a, that was a big shift. Mm -hmm. That was a big shift because being ready to hear no's and being ready to, to have feel setbacks and overcome them and then have another one and overcome it. Mm -hmm. It's very different to experience that as an entrepreneur versus you're an employee and, you know, you probably aren't experiencing as many sinks mm -hmm. because you don't have to put yourself out there as much. You're just doing the job, doing what's, what's required. So um, I would say that's one of the biggest shifts. Mm. Um, so when you said resilience, I kept thinking to myself, okay, so this Dr. Scorza is the one that was accepted into a top um, PhD program when she was seven months pregnant that took resilience. And this is the Dr. Scorza that built this fantastic school. Um, so it's just, I guess it's interesting that um, resilience may, um, seems to be, you know, those setbacks, dealing with the setbacks, hearing the no's versus the amazing amount of resilience it took for you to build this school. Um, you know, so that that's, I think the resilience is your middle name. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think, yeah, that's an interesting choice of words, but I, you know, absolutely. I, I can understand what you mean by, um, you know, hearing the no's, having the setbacks and then sort of like re-upping, right. You know, just making sure that you can keep going and keep moving forward despite the no's. Um, I, another thing to consider, and you let me know if I'm on the right path is that when you hear the no's or you deal with the setbacks, sometimes those are external things. Whereas you know that you have the gas, you know what it's required to push yourself forward for that PhD program, for the music program that is all dependent on you. Um, so I don't know. So maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I I think that's this is a fantastic um you know fantastic word because again I, I i think you're extremely resilient based on what you've accomplished mm -hmm. now would you say that you intentionally redesigned your life and do you think you've done it successfully yes mm -hmm. yes i might be you know unless someone comes in with a wrecking ball which happens <laughs> um I think there needs to be intentionality in the redesign. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's it's very comfortable to kind of stay in the same place and doing the same things. And you just, you get on a roll and you just keep rolling. Mm -hmm. I think to redesign something, it takes vision, it takes mm -hmm. perseverance, mm -hmm. and it takes a plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you think that you had a vision for the the business uh, for the businesses you currently had, um, and 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 did you have a plan, or has it been formed along the way? Sometimes it's formed along the way. Mm -hmm. This time around, I do want to do it with more intentionality. Mm -hmm. I I love imagining mm -hmm. and creating, mm -hmm. um, so I love writing out. Oh almost like fantasies and dreams of, of what I want to have happen. 
And it's, you know, it's very fun in the moment. And then I just leave it there. And then I come back to it months later or years later. And it's, it's really fascinating to see like, I did that. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I, I, I'm finally getting to that point myself in my life where I'm like, you know, be intentional, you know, about allowing yourself to create. Number one, allow yourself to create and then be intentional mm-hmm. about it and just see what happens, right? So I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so if you can define for me what you think an age has no limit life means to you. Okay. One of my little pet peeves is when people say, oh, once you hit age number X, mm-hmm. it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. So for me, age has no limit. It's like, no, it's it's not downhill mm-hmm. from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's always the opportunity to reinvent, to reimagine, mm-hmm. to reassess, um, to reaffirm. There's always that that opportunity to do that as long as we feel like we have the opportunity to do that and pursue it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. So, you know, how do you envision... Well, I think you just actually answered that question. So I, I I won't pick at that any further, but I think that's fantastic. Just understanding, going in already knowing that, you know, that's really all in our heads, basically. So um, I think that's fantastic. Now, some people have different answers to this. Some people say, I don't have one. Others say, yeah, I have one. And I've already ticked off five things. Do you have a bucket <laughs> list? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily identified it as a bucket list, but I like the experiences that I really want to have mm-hmm. are related to seeing beautiful things. Like I want to see these beautiful places and have these wonderful experiences. Sure. So for example, when I, um, and I mean, this isn't even like, you know, big bucket list thing, but there's, I love Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. We were married in Costa Rica and yeah. I must go back. And um, there's there's a summer camp there where for the children, um, they're in Spanish immersion camp all day. And then the parents are left to their own devices. And I'm like, that just sounds wonderful. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's definitely something I want to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to eat my way through India. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, sounds like fun. Um, so it sounds like you love Indian food. I do the same. Thank I do you. too. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, and you actually shared a couple of those things that are on your bucket list. I haven't been to Costa Rica. It's on my list. So mm. um, maybe I'll reach out to you when I want some tips on some places to stay. Even though there is a plethora of information out there, it's always good sometimes to just kind of get some ideas from folks that have already been there. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out to share with me and the listeners um, a little bit about your life, um, about some of the amazing accomplishments that you've had, and certainly about some of the things that you want to accomplish. I um, you know, I completely agree with you that that trip to Costa Rica sounds fantastic. So um, hopefully you'll be able to do that and you know in in very soon. Um, but until then, I just want to thank you again for your time. And for those of you who are listening, Thank you for joining the Age Has No Limit podcast. As I always say, age has no limit. Bye.